You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Good morning, everyone. From all of us at Calvary, we trust that you're healthy today. We're so glad you've joined us again for our live stream And we pray that this time together is a source of great encouragement to you personally and to your faith. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Lance and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the church. Today, we're going to begin a new series from the Old Testament wisdom book called Ecclesiastes. And it's a part of a series that we're going to be doing for the next five weeks entitled Trying Times. And we can certainly relate to that today. And this morning, I want to spend a few minutes and talk to you about the power of time. Our lives are often driven by the clock, by the calendar. We have to go here at this time and do that. We have this appointment, this errand, this package is going to come now. And even during this time, when our schedules aren't near as busy as they usually are, when we're not pressed for time, as we would say, we're still driven by time. I don't know about you, but I'm looking for updates daily. When are things going to get back to normal? What's the date? What's the time? How many days is that from now? And how am I going to spend my time between now and then? And I'm guessing I'm not alone in this. There is something innate to us about the urgency of time. We don't want to feel like we're wasting time. And when we're doing something other than what we really think we should be doing, that moment feels like we're wasting time. Because again, there's something inside of us that just lets us know that time is so powerful. It's it's the only thing that we haven't figured out how to manufacture more of. I mean, we have hourglasses, but we can't put time in a bottle, as the song said. And I think we just really hate wasting time because we know how precious and powerful it can be. Truth be told, wasting time is not just a clock or a calendar issue. Many times, time happens in a moment. Events, experiences, if you will. We begin to label time. Those were happy times or trying times. Things don't happen on time or in time. Things didn't happen at the right time. Or it's the good old days or the glory days or even the gory days. Or we say, it's just been a bad season in my life. And we can even get tracked in time, trapped in time. They're stuck in the past. I just can't move past it. Or we try to escape the present by idolizing the future, seeing something that we hope will be. And our obsession with time can be so overwhelming to the point that it begins to render things pointless or meaningless. Like the power of time can just make us feel powerless sometimes. Charles Dickens, in the opening paragraph of his famous work, A Tale of Two Cities, referred to it this way. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was an age of wisdom. 
and it was an age of foolishness. And this seems to sum up life sometimes. Time. It's good. It's bad. There's no telling what will happen next. Time is an enigma, a mystery that just seems to toss us around like a rag doll. Well, Charles Dick Dickens isn't the only person who has addressed this subject or wrote about it. As a matter of fact, there's an entire book in the Old Testament dedicated to the mystery of the somewhat meaninglessness of life. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. And we don't talk about it often in our sermons because honestly, it's kind of a depressing book. Or maybe we've just been reading it wrong. The entire book centers around the Hebrew word hevel. Hevel. 38 times the writer uses the word hevel. In the King James, it's translated as vanity. Some newer versions translate it meaningless. 38 times. Everything is hevel. Work, pleasure, possessions, food, drink. It's all hevel. Vanity. Futile. Meaningless. We lose a little something sometimes when we go from the Hebrew language that the Old Testament was written in to the English language. The Hebrew language was very descriptive in nature. A lot of the words were actually word pictures. When they said the word, they would automatically create a picture in the mind of the Hebrew listener. Hevel is just like that. The word literally means smoke or vapor. Life and time is like a smoke or a vapor. You can see smoke, but you can't grab it. The moment you reach out to grab it, it's gone. The writer of Ecclesiastes was not trying to be depressing. He wasn't trying to say that life was meaningless or pointless, although sometimes it really can feel that way. What he really was trying to say with this word hevel is that time and life is an enigma. It's a paradox. It's unpredictable, unstable. It's hard to grasp. One thing, at one moment, things are blowing up, and then the next moment, we're blown away in a good way. It's like this way at one moment, this way at another one. Life is hevel. It's like smoke. It's hard to make sense of. And life is like that. There's so much beauty in it. But just as you're beginning to enjoy it, unseemingly tragedy strikes. So how do we make sense of time? How do we kind of bring together the thought of trying times? How do we make sense of it all? Well, we'll spend the rest of today in this series and this chapter, chapter three of Ecclesiastes, and we'll really drill down on this concept of hevel and time and life. And this is how the writer of Ecclesiastes chapter three begins the chapter. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. 
There's a time for everything, every single activity. Life is full of different times and seasons. There's a time for each and every one of these activities. Not just a time for it. I believe that the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying there's an appointment for it of sorts. And he goes on, and let me just read a few verses for us this morning. He says this, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, a time to give up, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Life is full, the writer says, of all of these activities. There's a time and a season for each and every one of them. And we don't necessarily get to choose. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we can, but not necessarily. So when we read or hear this list, I think our natural instinct is to treat it as a buffet. And who doesn't love a good buffet? And what I mean by that is we want to pick and choose what happens with our time, our life. A time to be born, a time to die? I'll take birth. A time to plant, a time to harvest? Definitely harvest. I want the fruit, not the labor. A time to kill? A time to heal? Well, both, depending on the day, right? We treat this list as if it's a buffet, a time to tear down, build up. All the guys are like, demolition, I'm in, let's tear some stuff up. A time to weep, a time to laugh. Well, I'd like to laugh till I cry. Other than that, I don't wanna weep. A time to mourn, a time to dance. This is a tough one. I hate mourning and I'm a terrible dancer. I don't really want either of those. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. This is social distancing before it was a thing, but I would embrace embracing. A time to search, a time to give up. There's a lot of times I'd like to give up searching when things are lost, even in my life. A time to keep, a time to throw away. All the hoarders are panicking. A time to be silent, a time to speak. And I don't know about you, but I never seem to get that one right. A time to love, a time to hate. Honestly, I prefer love, but I do struggle with hate. A time for war, a time for peace. No comment. I mean, seriously. We read this list and we want it to be a buffet. 
We want to pick and choose. We want to control our time, what activities affect us and when they affect us. But life isn't a buffet. Time isn't a buffet. And neither is this list that the writer gives us. Listen, this list isn't a buffet. It's more like ingredients. Let me illustrate. Believe it or not, I really enjoy cooking. I didn't always, but over the last five or 10 years, I've really grown to enjoy it. But I have to admit, I'm not much of a baker. And that's actually an understatement because I've never baked anything in my entire life. Unless turning the oven to bake means I'm baking, I've never baked. Not cookies, not pies, not cake. I'm not much of a sweet eater. I mean, if you put an apple pie or a pumpkin pie in front of my face, I'm in. Or some vanilla cake, then I'm down for that. But before this week, I couldn't have told you how to bake a cake. I don't know the ingredients. I actually had to Google it. Flour, sugar, baking powder, salt, unsalted butter, which isn't that kind of like a contradiction. I need salt, yet unsalted butter, vanilla extract, milk, eggs, and of course, the frosting. I love the taste of frosted vanilla cake. It is so good. I like to just put my spoon in a freshly opened jar of vanilla frosting. I could definitely, if it's good, have a piece or two. But I'll tell you what, I'm not going to drink two raw eggs. And I'm not going to stick my hand in the flour jar and grab out a big scoop of flour and just be like, mmm, this flour is so good. Eat some straight sugar, maybe a teaspoon. But I'm definitely not going to pick up the salt shaker and just start pouring it down my mouth. You see, the cake needs all the ingredients. I can't just take the ones that taste good independently on their own. That doesn't make a cake. Just eating all the sugary sweet things, that doesn't make a cake. That's probably going to make me sick. But if I start removing the ones that I wouldn't eat individually, if I take out the salt or the baking powder or the two raw eggs, guess what? That cake's not going to taste good either. That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to communicate here. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. But it's not a buffet. It's not a pick and a choose. It's not an eliminate. It's baking. All the ingredients mixed together. The ones that taste good on their own. The ones that taste bad on their own. No one loves to eat flour. But we love cake. Somehow, when it's all mixed together, it creates something beautiful. And it's easy to talk about this in the context of baking and cakes and cookies and pies. But when we start to think about our lives in this way, it's a really hard pill to swallow.
It doesn't taste very good. It's not pleasing to our intellectual palate to think that there's good and there's bad and I don't get to have a buffet and choose uh, the laughter and not the mourning to be able to eliminate uh, the hate and just embrace the love. Life doesn't work that way. But the writer of Ecclesiastes, after he finishes this list of ingredients, if you will, says this in verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. So it's God's plan with God's vision, with his ability to see, to make everything beautiful. Maybe not at the time but in time, which means every little step, every little sorrow, every tear, every hurt, every joy, all that goes into the bowl that we call life. He says he makes everything beautiful in its time. And then he goes on to say this, and this verse is so powerful. He has also set eternity in the heart of man. That God has planted something in us that is always longing for the perfection that eternity is. Uh, but there's a labor from now to then. But in the labor, there's a promise that he makes everything beautiful in its time. And he goes on, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You know what he's saying? I don't get to choose my ingredients. I don't see well enough, and neither do you. See, if I could choose what I wanted, I would choose all of the good things, and I'd eliminate all of the bad things. None of the things that would sting, none of the things that would hurt, none of the things that would bother me, none of the things that would stretch me, I'd eliminate them and I would only take the good. Because in my mind, in my thinking, from my viewpoint, it's only the sweet things that lead to a sweet life. But it's not only the sweet things that make a good cake. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, it's not only the sweet things that make a good life, that God somehow in his infinite wisdom, in his unparalleled sovereignty, takes the ingredients and he bakes them together for something beautiful. In verse 12, he says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Do you understand that? That's, this is God's heart. This is his gift for us to take all the ingredients, the good the bad, and eat and drink and find satisfaction in them. So that means when you've got the money you need 
and when you've got the food you need and when you have the health uh, and when your kids are listening and when they're being obedient and when there's laughter and when it's a time of building and growing. He says, enjoy and drink it in deeply and enjoy life also when there's a lack of food or there's a dearth of money and your health might be waning or even when death is present and the children aren't being obedient and everything feels so heavy and so exhausting. He said, even in those times, there can be beauty. And then verse 14, I know that everything God does will endure forever forever. He makes everything beautiful in its time. And can I be honest with you? Too often we find ourselves on the human side of time with no ability to see or comprehend how this thing can be beautiful. Not now, not later, not ever. Listen, I've got mine. I can list two or things right now in the moment. Some that are five, 10, even 20 years from, from now that I'm removed from. Some things that I have no clue how they could ever possibly be beautiful. And you probably have them too. And God's going, you know what? You're too close. You can't step far enough back to see. And so you're going to have to trust me. I'm not a thief that has come to kill and steal. I've come to bring life. You're going to have to trust me because it's impossible for you to step back that far. I'm baking something here. And I know all the ingredients in and of their own don't taste good. But just trust me, one day you're going to find the beauty in all that I'm doing. God has a plan in the good and the bad, in the tears, in the joy, in the smiling, in the dancing, in the sorrow, in the pain. And as we begin this series and as we go throughout it, we're just going to walk through how God uses things, everything, to bring about his purpose, his beauty in our lives. Not just now. He didn't just set eternity in our hearts for some time later, but he's working now to bring about his purposes. Can I just encourage you, as you've been listening today, maybe you've been thinking about your ingredients. You've been thinking about the things God has brought to your life that he's mixing, and some of them have mixed you up, and some of them have hurt you. Some of them have brought you great joy. Can I just challenge you today, in this moment, as we go to prayer, to just surrender those things to God and trust him that he is working something beautiful, that he is going to use the power of time, that he is going to use trying times to accomplish his purposes. God, I thank you today.
for your sovereignty. Sovereignty. I thank you that you see beyond what I see. I thank you that you see beyond what we see. And God, I'm just asking you right now in the moment, maybe we're walking in a time of beauty personally. Maybe we're walking in a time of pain. Maybe our life is like a teeter-totter right now. One day we're seeing the goodness of God and one day we're seeing all the worst of what life has to offer. God, I pray as the writer of Hebrews has challenged us in each of those moments that we would learn to enjoy the gift of life, the gift of time that you have poured out to us. Lord, we want to believe that you are the master chef, the master baker, and you're in control. Lord, work all things together for good, for your glory, and for your purposes. And we pray this in your name. And everyone said, Amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.